Welcome to episode 10 of the Stuck in the Ivy podcast. I'm Jacob here with Braden. We got some more Cubs news to break. It seems like Jet, Jet is awake. I think it is very clear Jet is finally awake out of his slumbers and he is making moves. Uh, so today we have a, a very, really fun and exciting episode for you. Uh, we got a few listener questions and then we have an interview with Greg Zumak. He, uh, if you don't know, he is at Ivy Futures on Twitter. Big, I mean, he's a prospect nerd and I love it. I mean, you know, it, knowing that much about prospects is really impressive. So we asked him a bunch of questions. We had him dig deep into some of these prospects and the future of them relating to the major league team. But before that, we do have a few listener questions that we asked you guys on Twitter that we wanted to brush over really quick. Mm-hmm. So first off, from at Coping Cub from Coping Cubs fan at Cubs fan on Copium. I love all these usernames. Uh, he said, hearing Bush will mainly get reps at first. Do you guys think that rules out a deal with Hoskins and likely increases the chance the Cubs pursue Chapman? And then he said, sorry, Braden. Um, I don't. I mean, like, uh, it's I know this has been a comment on a lot. Uh, the Cubs are still very much in play for another first baseman. Yeah, it sounds like Bush will spend most of his time there, but it hasn't really been ruled out that he could spend some time at third base and DH. Like if Bush plays 120 games and is on the team all time. That wouldn't be that unrealistic at all. And then Cody Bellinger as well, I think, is still in play. Yeah, I mean, and we mentioned a bunch of this in the interview going over the prospect side of this trade. But mm-hmm. if you did not hear, obviously, the Cubs did acquire Michael Bush, who is now their number four prospect, number three prospect, actually. Uh, in and, their... and they, they, didn't, they didn't update yet for MLB Pipeline, so it'll probably change. Yeah, and so it's really impressive. I mean, the Cubs now have seven top 100 prospects. That's pretty, that's pretty big stuff. Oh uh, yeah. It most like that's an average of what, like one of every 12 prospects in there is a cub. So that's, that's really impressive. Or, Jed's 13, something like that. Yeah. Jed's doing well. T Higgins enjoyer said, if sign is signing Paxton, a possibility. James Paxton. Yes. Uh, I would say no. Cause he would be a fourth lefty rotation option. If you include smiley, Probably isn't better than Jordan Wicks. Fifth, actually, if you include Wicks and Smiley. And I just don't think the Cubs are in the market for that kind of pitcher anymore. Mitch Santini said Morrell in general. Hang around, Mitch. We are going to answer that question in the interview for you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, regular guest Horner MVP, Horner Burner, said yep. your opinion on the PCA Bush Morrell positional situation and what this means for Hoskins and Bellinger the Cubs. We also mentioned this with Greg talking about the prospect implications that the implications that this has so anyway we will hop right into it here is our interview with greg zumak well i'm jacob with Braden, and we have greg zumak here ivy futures at ivy futures on twitter uh big prospect guy and we wanted to bring him on we know that he has a lot of knowledge about this cubs farm system that has a lot of potential and a lot of relevancy in this big transitional offseason for the Cubs. So first off, Greg, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to it. I think uh, you've both been doing a really good job of, you know, I, I, I'm generally more active on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it. That's happened to be where, you know, I've interacted with you and, um, you know, appreciate the pod. I think it's a, I think it's a good one. So it made all the sense in the world to kind of jump on and, and talk some Cubs with you. Of course. Yeah. I enjoy all your prospect uh, deep cuts and all of those threads about the the nerdy stats that I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are really starting to enjoy. I know, Braden, you and we were talking uh, before we hopped on here about just those nerdy stats that are really cool to look at. 
uh, when you start to do a deep dive into that. Uh, so our first question for you is, who are your top five prospects in this Cubs farm system as we sit right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, I put out my rankings in the fall. And, and what I do with that is I try to take internal and external assessments of the players. So I'll go through my list of guys and then kick it out to some folks in the Cubs organization, kick it out to some people outside um, the Cubs organization. And then I take that feedback and I then I distill it down. I mean, ultimately, it's my list, right? Um, and so the guys that I have right now are in, in tier one is, is Pete Crow Armstrong and Cade Horton. Uh, one, two, and it's razor thin, honestly. Um, it's, it's razor thin on that. So that's, that's my tier one. Those are both guys that we should see in 2024. We've already seen Pete Crow Armstrong. Cade Horton is a big time arm and, and just a guy that if you're going to dream on somebody is from the pitching side in the system, Kate Horton is that guy to dream on. And you hopefully knock on wood, shouldn't have to dream very hard or uh, dream very far uh, in advance. It should be coming up pretty soon after that. And the feedback that I've gotten is that, um, you know, the Cubs value Matt Shaw very, very highly. And Matt Shaw and Kevin Alcantara are like right there for me. Um, they're, in, they're in a second tier. I have questions about both of them, but for different reasons, I really, really like both of them as, as top contributors and players. The upside on Alcantara is extremely high um, to the point that if he reaches even close to his potential, it is extremely impressive that's your classic that's your all-star type of a player matt shaw may not be that but he's got a really high likelihood of, of getting to the point to where he is and he has a lot of believers within the cubs organization to the point that i not saying too much but i think that he's been asked about a lot um via trade and i think that the cubs not that they would never move him i'm not, I'm not making that statement but i've kind of said you know we're we're not really too jazzed to to toss him into deals. So those are those are my top four. Um, after that is Owen Casey, who is extremely impressive. He's answered a lot of defensive questions. Looks pretty good out in right field, actually. And what he's been able to accomplish at twenty years old in Double A, handling the they they experimented with different types of baseballs um, last year. And so for about half the season, these baseballs in double A had this pre-tacked substance, which made it spin a lot more. And so pitchers were just, I mean, they were like eating batters up because they, they had like a couple of years ago, this is a big issue in baseball. People were using spider tack and all that kind of stuff. It, it didn't go to those extreme of levels, but this definitely was creating a little bit of a super ball movement uh, with, with like high fastballs. Casey handled that extremely impressively, um, dropped the K's after they got rid of those baseballs and went back to a, a another type of, a, you know, more normal type of baseball. I think he's just answered a lot of questions. And to me, it feels like the Cubs have a very clear top five. I know you just mentioned top five and, and we're going to talk about him, but right after that is actually where I would slide in new Cubs edition, Michael Bush. So I know we'll talk about him, but like just to give he's kind right of a, there. a perspective on that would be, yeah, he would be. He's got different questions to answer and different kind of projections, but yeah, I, I think he would be right there. 
Yeah, I got I was listening to the Just Baseball podcast and they were talking about PCA and they marketed his floor at like a large newt bar and his ceiling at Michael Harris. Do you think that's an unfair, like thin margin, or do you think that's pretty accurate? You know, Aram Lighton has been the one that that cued me in. We, we were talking, I think, last year, actually. Um, and he's been using the Michael Harris the second comp a lot with him. It, it's actually a really extraordinarily good comp. Uh, because the things that Michael Harris struggles with have been very similar to the to the issues that that PCA has. Um, the overall like strengths and projections are that doesn't mean that that PCA is going to get there. I think he does have a lot of questions to answer. Um, Michael Harris the second hit about like a really high percentile outcome. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're projecting him. He's definitely on the upper end of what guys that look like that tend to actually produce. And so asking PCA to be Harris the second, you know, is probably not too likely. Like if we're just going to bet, and I'm not a big bet guy, but like if you're going to bet, I would take the under on that. Mm. But the type of player that they are and where they're going to get value is actually pretty similar. It's going to be defense, which people don't love to hear that, but it's going to be defense. It's going to be speed. And it's not slapping the ball around. It's actually still power, um, but it's it's that left-handed kind of power that that then gets a lot of extra base hits on speed. Um, super valuable dude, and and I think Pete's got got a lot of potential there. That's the high percentile outcome for mm-hmm. PCA, but I, I mean, it's the type of player that he could be. For Matt Shaw, we talked about him and how highly. I mean, like you said, I'm sure teams are asking about him. I don't really see the Cubs wanting to move on from him. However, would you say he, from my judgment, he has a pretty high floor. It seems his ceiling may not be the high, his ceiling may not be the Kevin Alcantara, but his floor seems to be pretty high, which it appears that Jed likes to have that certainty and that like reassurance. Yeah, because, and, and I, I would echo all that. Uh, I think that that is the type of player that, that um, Matt Shaw is. And I've used this phrase that when constructing the Cubs draft class, that in a way Matt Shaw effectively anchored that class. They could take a few swing for the fence type picks because you felt like you were you had a really solid floor. You were going to get a very, very good contributor in Matt Shaw. It doesn't mean he could never have an all-star season. That doesn't mean he couldn't, you know, be one of the Cubs three or four best hitters. I think that's all possible but you feel really good that he is going to contribute and he's going to address some of his areas of weakness. My big question is the defense. Um, It's the question that I've had ever since I actually watched him in Omaha, uh, not for the college world series, but the big 10 championship. Uh, The athleticism is there, but, and I've used this before, this isn't a knock, but I compared him to a right-handed Ian Happ. Overall production type, um, the way he throws the ball is very like Ian Happ. Do I think he could work on those things and be a, an infielder? I do. I think that the the tool the the work ethic is there. Um, the position that they're putting him in uh, and the way that they're going to be working with him, I think he could do it. Uh, but I I still see a major league contributor and a very good one. You know, two to three win guy for years. Honestly, that's just such a steal of a pick. And I've asked around to folks like in the draft community and like, hey, if you were to do a redraft right now, that's that's always like 
you know, you, you can't really judge a draft right now. But yeah. if you're going to redraft the draft right now, where would he go? And they're like, yeah, probably not in the first five picks. Like th- those guys felt really good. Those that's a not a generational top five, but, but pretty close. But they're like, I don't know, six, seven. Like he he's not getting out of the top ten. Matt Shaw. That was just such a good pick. So I would echo that. I think that there is more floor than ceiling, but that's also not a bad thing. Um, really, really good championship caliber teams have a whole bunch of players who are kind of like floor players as very good major league regulars. There are no holes in that lineup. Matt Shaw has that potential to be somebody that you're just like, man, this guy's like really good for like 15 years. Um, maybe makes a few all-star games. Uh, and I will say that the scouts who have watched him like really love Matt Shaw uh, as the player and the person. And so like that's the kind of also secondary component of, and, and not even secondary, but like a really important component of the type of person you're bringing in. So I think, yeah, Matt Shaw is a little bit more floor than ceiling. It balances out some of like the Kevin Alcantara's and, and you know, uh, Jackson Ferris was just traded, but that was kind of like a ceiling type guy. Um, and and Matt Shaw is somebody that you feel like you're going to get a major league player here very soon, hopefully. Well, I don't know if either of you watched the uh, Cubs convention from about an hour ago. They had the pitchers panel and Kyle Hendricks said something that really stuck out. They said, what is the thing that is similar to the 2016 team? Obviously, they brought up Ross and it got a little awkward for a second, but they said, I mean, you know, and then the Bellinger, I love how much Jed is. I don't know, Greg, how much you're watching this, but every once in a while, they'll hint at Cody and be like, go ahead and chant. And I'm like, it seems inevitable. Uh, We'll mention that later. But Kyle Hendricks mentions the team chemistry and you talked about Shaw's personality. All of these players seem to love like you don't have a championship team more than it comes out and not normally like. Yeah, they hate each other's guts. They walked in as late as they could and left as early as they could. That is such a big part of building a good team is not only the talent, but if they love each other, they're going to produce and they're going to have fun and want to show up and want to get better. Yeah, and and I mean, I would echo that. It It is something that I believe Theo Epstein has actually spoken about this publicly, um, who is, of course, not the current Cubs president, but built the Cubs championship roster that team chemistry is something that the advanced teams are trying to analyze. And that's, that's the, that's the negative about all the nerdy stuff in baseball is the the fact that people are trying to put numbers to something that you really can't quantify, but like people are trying to figure that out. What, how do you build a chemistry? How do you understand that? And I, I would say that the people who really understand it just know it. You can't necessarily describe it or quantify it or anything like that. But team chemistry matters. Baseball is a 162-game season, and you are hoping that you are playing another, like, 15-plus games. Right? Like, that's what you're hoping for. You're hoping for the longest season ever, and that's not even including spring training. You don't have to love all all your teammates, but you really do want to click because you are going to, the best teams in baseball are going to have really down times. The 2016 Cubs had like a couple weeks where they looked terrible, like really bad baseball. And maybe not like bad, like you'd stack them up next to 100 lost teams and be like, this is what they look like. But they had like some bad games. And sometimes that can spiral a season, but the the players that really click, they got the chemistry, they've got good management. Um, they're able to kind of weather that. They know it's that long season. They come out of it, they come storming out of it. 
And like, yeah, the guys on the team now, when you're a fan, when you're watching these guys, like you want to win. Winning is obviously like, that's what you, you get, you know, merch on, you know, with like Chicago Cubs championships. Um, but you also really want to enjoy the people you're watching. And I think chemistry is a huge component of the fan aspect, but also the player aspect. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, other than your top five, Greg, uh, what are some other like underrated prospects that you're really excited about? So, you know, I've been talking about Drew Gray. He's a left-handed pitcher. They took him in the uh, 2021 draft. Um, he was very young at that point. He's like 17 years old. He came into the season the next year uh, in spring training, was looking lights out, and then got hurt. Had to have Tommy John surgery, not an uncommon thing for for prospects, for pitchers in general. And when I asked people about it, there were some people in the organization that were crushed because they were just like, we lost out on an opportunity here. And he could still do it, and they still had believers in it. But, man, they they really were impressed with what they saw. With the Cubs moving Jackson Ferris, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit with Bush, uh, the Bush deal. Drew Gray's got a really good opportunity to look like the premier left-handed pitcher in in the system. Um, and, you know, Jordan Wicks will, will be in the major league, so I'm, I'm not including him in that. But Drew Gray definitely has that potential. What he showcases is some pretty extreme stuff, um, not like in the hundreds or anything, but his his fastball will really do a lot of good work. He also throws a pretty unique type of a spin too, which I'm not going to get too much into it, but there's there's some really impressive things. He generates a ton of Ks. His issue right now is walks, which is the last thing that command is typically the last thing that comes back following Tommy John surgery. So I more just want to see that. But if you told me that he's up in IA, just mowing hitters down next year, that would not surprise me. And and I think that we'd be looking, you know, at a likely top ten overall prospect in the Cubs system. Um, trying to think of another guy that I'm really high on. Jefferson Rojas is, is a shortstop. He's very young shortstop. He's a guy that Brian Smith, who, um, on Twitter X, whatever is like at Cubs prospects. He's one of the best. He totally got the tip off. He got the tip off before anybody else that Jefferson Rojas is going to be an absolute stud. And he was talking about it a year ago. He was, and a lot of players like Christian Hernandez is a big one. Um, his brother Alexis, even uh, they they go to the Arizona Complex League, hit pretty well, get up to Myrtle Beach, and kind of struggle against advanced pitchers in a tough hitting environment. Jefferson Rojas didn't struggle. He had above average offense. He showed you exactly what you wanted. And he was taking shortstop plate appearances away from like Christian Hernandez, who was really well thought of in the organization. He's proving a tremendous amount. I don't think you should judge his 2024 based on the first month, because I think he'll have a really difficult time, like almost all players adjusting to cold Midwest league in April, May. But let's see what he looks like in June or July, because his upside is extremely, extremely high. That is a top 100 type caliber prospect, like probably next year if if things keep going well. So actually, I'm going to pivot off of our uh, planned segments for a second. Christian Hernandez, that is someone that was like, this is the next, like, 
the next big thing. He is, he is him, you know, like in Twitter lingo, he is him. He is the goat. And out of nowhere, I've just started to hear, we're not so sure. And a lot of doubt was there something specific that happened or just too much overhype? Too much overhype. Um, I, I very much disagree. I, I will just say that like, there are some publications. So I'm not going to like talk about specific uh, evaluators um, because I, I totally get buying into the hype there, but I didn't agree with the way publications were already dropping him into top 100 lists. Some of them before he even came stateside, your risk level with those type of prospects is exceedingly high. Like it, even the superstars, the Cubs are about to sign a guy, Fernando Cruz, that is has extremely good potential here. This will probably happen Monday. I'm not sure when this is dropping, but um, that should happen Monday. Awesome prospect, incredible prospect out of the Dominican. He still has a ton of risk, and like I won't be ranking him in my top thirty. And it's not a knock on him. It's just because we got to see how these guys do in stateside. Christian Hernandez can actually still be a really good prospect and totally a good major league player. He did get to a point where his development maybe didn't take that step that you're expecting. Um, and far from the only person to say like progress isn't linear. Uh, that's a Theo Epstein quote, like, you know, these players can have ups and downs and ups and downs. You, you're hoping that they eventually take two steps forward for every one step back kind of a thing. But <clears throat> I would say he was overhyped by publications. He was a very good prospect in the Dominican. You know, needs to adjust to major, or not major league pitching, but professional pitching. And ultimately, until somebody does that, we're kind of left wanting and, and waiting for those next steps. So yeah, I, I think overhyped from a publication standpoint, he still has a lot of potential. Reaching that potential will take a concerted amount of effort. It is still possible, though. Um, I'm not completely off the Christian Hernandez bandwagon, but uh, more tepid and more like wait and see kind of an approach with, with that. It is always interesting. I mean, you know, Braden and I were 19, 18, and a year or so like, oh, yeah, they drafted him at 17. And I'm like, I'm sitting here eating pizza, and, you know, <laughs> and you just chilling, playing video games, and then these people were getting drafted. But ranking someone that high so young does seem to be really risky because there's five, unless you're Juan Soto coming in, you know, at, when you're three years old. Otherwise, everyone else is, you're waiting until you're 22, 23. There's so much time for something to happen, injuries or just like lot last, like lock, lack of talent. I mean, it's just, there's so much risk there. There, there are. And this isn't to criticize a specific publication because I actually have a lot of people that work there that I respect and talk to, and I think they're amazing at what they do. Um, but just in general, I didn't agree with like the way Baseball America ranked him. Uh, I will say, and they put out reports on this, that they had a couple of scouts who gave such glowing reviews that that ended up you know, dramatically shifting how they viewed him. Um, and And that's because... Sometimes scouts see players and they're like, this is a superstar. And that is still within the range of outcomes that he could have been. Like, ranking him that high, I would still not agree with, but they could have been right. And it would have still been fine. Like, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it does generate some clicks and all that. But I, yeah, I, I personally, that's just my own view on it, tend to lag behind some of those guys um, in a ranking system. I was actually probably the lowest on Jefferson Rojas uh, just because I wanted to see it. 
like that's pretty much it. I just I just want to see it. I want to see what he does when he faces, uh, let's say, like the Rays notoriously have these like 22, 23, 24 year olds old sometimes pitchers in low A ball. They are just very like methodical about it. And they will have, you know, sometimes like the Cubs will have 18 year old prospects trying to face 22 year old advanced pitchers in the Rays system. And like that is extremely difficult. And like, not every player is capable of handling that at that time frame. So, like, I'm hoping Christian Hernandez has a better year next year. Maybe he's adjusted. Who knows how the the winter is gone? Actually, I've got any reports on that. Um, but yeah, like I've I've lagged behind some of those like Uber prospects because I just want to see it. And I guess that's like that's just my style on it. And I'll I'll be the one that you look at the rankings sometime, you're like, how oh, is that guy like 18? That's the reason. Like, you know, good or bad, I'll, I'll roll with that. That's just my style. Do you think, or I don't know how much this is not necessarily Cubs related, but how do you feel about uh, Ethan Salas getting all this attention and all this hype and already in double A uh, at age 17? I mean, what he's doing has been incredible. I don't think he should have been promoted to double A. I think yeah. that that was goosing the market on him. Not that they want to move him, but moving him to double A means that like when teams are doing their offseason models, uh and evaluating players they, he's gonna plug in as double a that age catcher and it's just gonna be like an outlier on a model you're gonna look at this thing and be like this guy's the most valuable prospect in baseball um he's amazing though i think he's extremely good and he, he probably can take off next year in double a and the guy could be in the majors by the end of the year i mean, truly special i guess um i don't i think the double double a promotion was kind of silly for the Padres just to do that. But, um, but he's, a, he's a stud. And, so when, and that is one that real quick, that is one yeah. where like the publications who, you know, put him so high right away were right. They were mm. right about it. So yeah. When did you say we could see him up in the majors? Ethan South. I mean, if you told me next year, like late in September, that wouldn't completely shock me. Uh, the Padres are pretty aggressive in how they promote guys so like that is possible if i'm just like spitballing and guessing i'd probably say 2025 but like if you told me september next year mm-hmm. yeah i i it wouldn't shock me wow uh branching off of you know young prospects getting promoted what do you think pca's role is going to be this year especially to start 2024 and does it hinge on cody bellinger coming back you know that's a really good question i'm not sure it hinges on cody bellinger because hmm I don't think the Cubs should make development plans for PCA based on what they do with Bellinger. That's like my view on that. I don't, I think you like independently develop him. I could see, I think Pete Armstrong is going to definitely get some major league time. I think what he's doing right now, and he's talked about this, this isn't like inside information is that he's working with Dustin Kelly, the Cubs major league hitting coach down in Arizona. And they are working on, refining his zone pca like a lot of hitters as a, as a whole at the top of his zone uh of the strike zone not a huge surprise with the way he swings and so just getting it to the point where he's not chasing pitches you know above the zone if it's a if it's a strike and it's a two strike situation you do have to swing because if you don't it's a strikeout but anything above that do not swing don't swing and like just working on making sure that he knows just refining that eye, getting that eye over and over and over and over again really helps his projection. 
if it's looking good this spring, then maybe he does start in the major leagues. I tend to think that he's probably going to be up later in the summer. That's my, that's my guess. If he's doing well, um, Mike Talkman is not going to keep him from, from the opportunity. And if they do sign Cody Bellinger, which I kind of think they will, he can be, he can play center field, first base, right field, DH. Like you can do that. That's one of the special things about Cody Bellinger. So I, I wouldn't say it hinges on him, uh, but it's a great question. I, I think they should independently develop PCA. I do think, and I know we'll uh, transition into the Bush trade in just a second, which was a, dare I say, groundbreaking and like just very well. Shocking. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting at work and I say we're trading for a really, I'm like, okay, we made a trade. And then it says Michael Bush. And I text Braden and we're just freaking out. Like, what in the world? Just because it wasn't a, hey, the Cubs are looking to upgrade prospects. This wasn't on, at least, from what I saw, this wasn't on anyone's radar. Jed works in silence. We've gone over this. It was just such a shock. And I do think that complicates what the Cubs are going to do with their roster. And people have asked me, they're like, hey, what do you think they're going to do? And I said, I haven't figured it out. Because you look at it, you don't have, like the Dodgers, a superstar at every position. But you have so many of, like you said, with the floor guys, you have so many good players. that I think this is could shape up to be a really solid team. And now that you have Bush, I mean, just from my point of view, okay, sign Bellinger. I don't want Bush or PCA to stop you from signing Bellinger. I don't think anyone does. You put him in center, Bush at first. Okay, now PCA is quote-unquote blocked. And I don't want to then say, okay, put PCA or put Bellinger at first, PCA in center. Where is Bush going? Put him at third. Oh, but what about Morrell? What about, I mean, Madrigal showed some promise last year. There's so many players that I'm like, there has to be a trade coming, I would think. Like, not saying like, not saying like, hey, do you know of anything in the works? But wouldn't you agree they have to make a trade of some sort? Because otherwise, there's so many of these players, you could be wasting talent. So there's there's always the possibility of wasting talent. I will say, though, if you were to think back to like the championship Cubs, the 2016 Cubs, they came into camp with Jason Hayward, Jorge Soler, um, Kyle Schwarber. Who are all like they gotta play? That those are your, those are your outfielders, no doubt about it. Five hundred, six hundred plate appearances. Those are your guys. Then they signed Fowler, and they're like, "Well, what do we do there? Well, uh, let's trade Chris Coghlan because you know we don't need like an expensive fifth outfielder." And then, despite having all of that, and Zobrist able to play left, and Chris Bryant able to play left, they still, because of crazy stuff in baseball, had to go back and retrade for Chris Coghlan. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. later in the year to cover left field. He actually started game one of the World Series in left field. So it's like, honestly, I, I so I hear what you're saying. And I think there is some merit to um a different, a different type of a trade that they should make. And and I'll get to that in a second. Um, I'm of the mindset, just cut, throw as many good players on this roster as possible. And man, let Craig Council work it out. There is the possibility of getting diminishing returns. The Dodgers were going to have that because they had three superstars there that they did have to move Michael Bush. He had very little value outside of a trade. Um, you know, him not beating out Max Muncie, Shohei Otani, uh, Freddie Freeman is an indictment on him, right? Like that's like nutty that that level of talent. Really, the Dodgers are so annoying. Um, oh yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Just it's just infuriating. Good for them. I hate it. Uh, so. Honestly, I, I think they need to put as many people as possible. The DH helps so much. 
because Craig Council, at least historically, and he may change how he views that with more talent, um, has kind of rotated guys in a TH. So you you get like Cody Bellinger, you know, three days in center field, two days at first base. You get, you know, Michael Bush rotating first base. Maybe they find that they're able to position Michael Bush to play like 40 games at third base or something like that. Chris Morrell may may tell you that he's not able to cover third. We don't know that yet. You know, I think just bring as many good players as possible. Where I do think that the Cubs should prioritize a trade is the following. And that is they have a lot of depth pieces. Solid major league type fringe players, definitely major league roster role players. Depth starters, guys like Patrick Wisdom, you know, if you all of a sudden sign Bellinger and Hoskins, I would move Patrick Wisdom. I don't think he offers much to you, but for another team, he would. He's fairly cheap power from right hand to bat. There's value there. A guy like Keegan Thompson has showed you that he can be really good. He does have some questions. Hayden Wesneski, you know, maybe that type of a situation where you want to keep him, but there is value in cobbling together. Not not like you're going to cobble together a whole bunch of like kind of meh players not that that's really truly fair to say but you get what i'm saying here it's players that aren't you know regulars and then all of a sudden get a superstar i don't think that but you can switch those players around for people who might really fit your roster very well and i think that that is an opportunity that the cubs should and and actually probably will be exploring and if i can say this i i'm not super into the trade rumors things i'm not like super connected or whatever people I happen to talk to tend to fall within the scouting community. And so sometimes they hear stuff. I would say that some of the Cubs offers in deals has been geared towards a prospect with a depth player. Um, And, you know, those deals haven't happened yet. So like maybe that tells you something that they need to rework it, but that would not surprise me to see that happen. So one thing I'll go off of actually off of uh, trading the depth pieces Christopher Morel. Uh, obviously, people that listen to the podcast know I am big on trading Christopher Morel, not because I dislike him, more because I do not think his value will ever be higher. Logan Gilbert, please. But I mean, I've been big on the trade him to Seattle for one of those starting pitchers. I don't, from what I've heard, I don't think they're going to trade one of those starting pitchers, unfortunately. But I would love to move him for a good starting pitcher. I just worry there's not enough room for him. And also, if we do find room, is his value at his highest are you on the? Are you for trading Murrow or not? Because we talked about team chemistry. Losing him would hurt because the dude's the happiest man on the planet. I mean, there's no one happier than Christopher Morel. But value-wise, baseball management-wise, I'm not alone by saying that it would be kind of smart to trade him at this point, right? No, I don't, I don't think you're wrong on that. Christopher Morel is, is going to be this huge inflection point, right? Because like the fans are going to look at him and be like, you got to be kidding me. You got to get a superstar for him. And then... Fans of other teams that might look at things, even pretty cued in individuals are probably going to look at it and be like, this guy's, you know, like at a WRC plus weighted runs created plus. So like that just measures total offense. I, I know you know that, but like just in case, you know, for any of the listeners, yeah. um, just a, a just a ballpark number of, of what people do on offense. You know, as something like 15 to 20 percent better than the average hitter. Eh, it's okay. And then there's the defensive questions. And, and so he's this weird inflection point. Here's where I'm at with it. 
if they truly don't believe he can play third base, and I don't, I don't know it, all the the verbiage and the communication from the Cubs is this guy is going to be playing third or whatever. Like we don't care. But if they truly behind the scenes don't think he can play third base, then yeah, I think that maybe his value is never higher. What is that value? His value should be worth approximately a top 50 overall prospect. So if you line his numbers up against player B, um, there's a player in baseball last year who was horrendous at third base might have like stirred the ghost of Brooks Robinson with how bad his defense was at third base. Uh, and, and that all the offensive numbers lined up like almost identically within just a hundredth of a point on, on, on the, with Chris Morrell. That's Jake Berger. He went for effectively a top 50 overall prospect, right about like top 50, top 60 overall prospect in, in Jake Eater. And same amount of control or very close to it. <clears throat> if you were to move Chris Morrell now, I want a top 50 overall prospect value back. That doesn't mean I want a top 50 overall prospect. I'd rather get like what you're talking about, which is a major league starting pitcher. Even if you have to add something to that. Logan Gilbert, honestly, might be a little surprising. Um, if I could talk, I, I am not super cued in on this, but I feel like, there was some chatter with Seattle moving a starter for a while. And all of a sudden that disappeared. And if I were to just put on my tinfoil hat, one of the reasons that I think that potentially disappeared is that the Cubs said we're not really interested in moving Morrell. Um, and not that he was the only person that they were talking it, about. Uh, but also because we're probably not more just like, if I could ex- elaborate, not interested in moving Morrell for the guys you're offering. Right. You know, Brian Wu doesn't move me. Um, Bryce Miller, you put an excellent thread out there. I actually would entertain that. I'm probably more of the outlier who would say I would do Morrell for Miller because I actually think in the Cubs system, he Bryce Miller would be unbelievable. Um, But uh, many people don't agree with that. And from a value standpoint, it's probably more of a toss-up. And you really want to win a Morrell deal. So... Yeah, I'm okay with it. The way I sit there is if they think there's even like a 25 to 30% chance that he could play third base, I want to give him three months. I want to give him three months at third base because even if he's not good there, he's already shown he can be pretty solid at second. He carries value and he's probably still worth pretty close to what Jake Berger got last year. And, and I think that you still have some time there um also waiting to see if if the offense unlocks even a second gear um because if it does then you're kind of to the point where you don't care as much because the bat just plays i mean the bat could play like reese hoskins <laughs> um right. without too much of a step to it and you just plug him in at, at dh so i i hear what you're saying and i think there's a lot of merit to it it all depends on what the cubs internally view as as his defensive positioning and not super sure on that, but I am intrigued. I do know uh, Matt Shaw did say he was, uh, I don't know if you saw this, he did say that he has taken about 99% of his reps at third base this offseason. And Nico talked about how important it is, you know, to have a, I mean, a corner infielder at third base, you want to have your corners locked up. You look at the Cardinals, Arenado and Goldschmidt, two of the best players in the game. They have them locked up. As much as we hit the Cardinals, yep. they locked up who they needed to lock up. 
I know uh, Braden mentioned, like Jesus has mentioned Lizardo before as someone for the Morel trade. I just feel, and I, I feel that Cubs fans are overvaluing Morel just because Cubs fans are very loyal and they see a player that is loyal and they're immediately attached to that. And I, I always worry that this sounds like I hate Morel, get him gone. I do not want to get Morel to give him away for something that is weak. I don't want to give him away for a nobody that's maybe a flyer on somebody, but I think that we should get rid of him if it is worth it. And with all the interest that I've heard around the league, I think not Alonzo. I'm not trading Morel for Alonzo. You know, I, I don't really want to trade for Alonzo right now. I think you hedge your bets in the free agent market, but there are so many players out there that I think teams would love Morel and would pay up for him from what I've, from what I'm just guessing and I don't have any insider intel or anything. I think it's more of teams would be willing to go for Morel and pay for him. The Cubs are just saying, we believe in him too much. Like I wonder if the Cubs not value him too highly, but are more closing the door on those and being like, maybe we'll open it up later, but we're going to close that and like hedge our bets on him. Yeah, that's, that's certainly possible. I, you know, there's probably guys, there are, I would be absolutely shocked if there are not players in baseball that the Cubs would totally move morale for no questions asked and if the Cubs found that those players were like all of a sudden on the market I think that moves the team Jed Hoyer has some ice in his veins people don't really love it all the time but he can he can be a little bit um uh ruthless there's not yeah ruthless let's just say that And, and in a nice way like he is very, very good. Now, I don't think he's actually a ruthless individual. I think he, no. he does care about his players and stuff. But but he is willing to make tough calls on players that that other executives wouldn't have. Um, and he did. In 2021, deadline was rough. It was rough for everybody. Um, it was needed, uh, but it doesn't mean it felt good. Uh, and, and it doesn't mean it's something that an organization should want to do. But somebody needed to, at that point, do it. And, and Jed Hoyer is going to. I think if, if there are certain players that are out there, uh, the Cubs would do it. Maybe they haven't gotten wind of that yet. Maybe there are players that they're hoping hit the market here in a year. And it's like all of a sudden Chris Morrell looks like a guy that, you know, the defense is passable at third, but the bat's pretty good. He's cheap. And a team, Cleveland, Miami, Detroit, whatever, you can name a lot of people, a lot of teams that say, holy cow, that's like really, really valuable. We will move our expensive impact bat who's only got a couple years of control for this very cheap guy who we think is still very good. So maybe just the timing's not right. Um, I, I think, Jacob, to go, to go to your point, I think it's possible that the timing is not right or that there are just a few guys in the market that, that the Cubs just feel like aren't worth morale. Um, like I was saying with Seattle, like let's say Seattle was totally open to moving a starter, but it was probably just Brian Wu. Maybe the Cubs are like, nah, like that's just not worth it for us. Like we can go out and get Imanaga, um, you know, for for less than that. I was saying, Braden knows I'm Logan Gilbert. I mean, he's he's smiling like Logan Gilbert and Bryce Miller are two of my and George mm-hmm. Kirby, though they yep. wouldn't move Kirby. I I don't think that was ever in the conversation, but their rotation is one of, if not the most impressive in baseball, just purely based off the cost is so low for an insane amount of talent. If we got Logan Gilbert on our team, I mean, you know, I would be doing cartwheels and everything, but yep, he's a stud. Yep. Lazardo too is someone 
then you worry about how many lefties do you want in your bullpen but or in your rotation but you can never have too many good starters ever no i mean i think you get as many good starters as possible and and yeah you can get some sort of diminishing returns but i think that's a, a bridge you cross when you have too many good players you just deal with it later um yeah that, like lizardo would be amazing gilbert would be amazing kirby would I, you know he, he's probably not getting moved um i think bryce miller is very good i mean there's a whole bunch of really good young starters that just relying on the guys you have you don't want to close those doors um yeah I, it's possible i it is very possible that the guys are just waiting for the right move or right time uh, to, to do that um, and that they wouldn't turn down Chris Merrill in, in a big deal. I, I do believe they value him very highly. Um, and there have been times that like I'll occasionally, again, I'm not super pute, uh, clued into trade rumors or whatever, but I'll occasionally get some people like asking about him and stuff. And then they get the sense of the conversations you know, just did not match up very quickly. So yeah, it, it's an interesting one. He's going to get asked about a lot. You always want your players to get asked about that. That's, good. that's yeah. a really good sign. Jacob, honestly, I don't, I think you're more of a Logan Gilbert fan than Mariners fans are. That's like, fair. I think you trade your family for Logan Gilbert, but uh, I would consider it again, bridging off of uh, guys that are like, we don't know what, what the role could be going forward. What do you think, Greg, that Mervis's role is look at going forward and if he's someone that could possibly be traded. And I know first baseman, like it's kind of hard to trade them because not a lot of teams need one. Yeah, man, Matt Mervis is such a good dude. And, you know, that's probably one that, uh, and maybe, you know, we're all kind of a part of that, you know, get overhyped a little bit. Um, I was on, think chgo last year they were asking about him and 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 i said you know i'd pump the brakes a little bit i'd say i think he's going to be good long term but i think he's going to need some adjustment period um it's actually really really difficult for first baseman type prospects to immediately contribute uh if you were to go back to like i can't remember who i looked at you know some really good ones it might be like freddie freeman anthony rizzo they struggled initially and they eventually figured it out but many struggle initially and don't figure it out um I think Matt Mervis falls somewhere in the middle. I don't think it's Anthony Rizzo or Freddie Freeman or anything. I think Matt is traded, um, but that he carves out a really good major league role. And I think he moves to a team like Colorado. Uh, where were the other places that I was looking? I think Colorado is one of the big ones. Um, Miami were, were, were some of them. Uh maybe Tampa Bay, but I, I wasn't necessarily looking at that. And, and just has a spot where he can play like every day for a while, not in necessarily a low pressure environment, but a different pressure environment. And I think, I think he does well. I think he's moved in a deal. Um, I don't think teams are knocking down the door for him, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, why move a ton of value when you've got like J.D. Martinez and, Brandon Belt and Reese Hoskins and like all these other players that they can just pay money for and not, and not a ton of money and, and get a, a, you know, talented, more sure first baseman. But I do think that there is a role in major league baseball for Matt Mervis and um, Colorado would be my pick to click for that one. I'll just say that. So I will, I mean, that would hurt mainly because I already got a mash Mervis shirt. I was at his debut. And so I was like, Whoa, but Something that I will transition off of this. Who's the most likely? Like what pro- are there any prospects that you say tradable, like will probably be moved? 
James Triantos is someone that I have noticed almost Canario. every single Cubs. Yeah, I'm mean, like almost every single Cubs proposal includes James Triantos in some way. Mervis as well, because it does seem he's kind of blocked even without Bellinger. It's like, okay, now we have Michael Bush. I would rather have Bush than Mervis at this point because there's still my personal worry of is Mervis sort of a quadruple A player, you know, engine in the middle compared to we were told, you know, he's the second coming of Babe Ruth, you know, like he was he was very overhyped as well as you see as a trend with Cubs and Cubs Twitter. Uh, but is there anyone other than, and I don't know if you agree with the James Triantos, but is there anyone else that you would say probably best to move him or will get moved? Yeah, I wouldn't say like best to move, but um, I, I do agree with James Triantos. Uh, I, I don't want to elaborate too deep into it. it. It will kill me. I've been probably the biggest James Triantos Cubs fan uh, since 2021, I, I wrote about him prior to the draft. Um, that that's like probably some reason why people have heard him about me or whatever is that I, I mocked him to the Cubs. Um, and I, I had heard that they were extremely high on him. Um, and, and I was, and that, that's actually how I found out about <laughs> that, that they were high on him. So it, that's going to crush me. Um, I think it's eventually happens. And it's not a reflection on Trantos not being good. I actually think it's just because of where the Cubs are in their contention cycle and having gotten Shaw and the way their team is lined up. James Trantos is probably in the majors here very soon, but not so soon at the positions they need where you don't trade him. And so, like, it's not like Matt Shaw where I don't think the Cubs want to move Matt Shaw at all. Uh, in fact, that's the sense I get. They really, really don't. Not that they wouldn't trade him for anybody. That's silly. They, of course, would. But I don't think they want to move Matt Shaw. And James, I believe that they would move um, strictly because of where they are from an organization perspective and also because of what James has showed major, le major league teams about his talent level um, and how close it is. Um, and that's very exciting for teams, maybe like a year off of of contending is to look at it and say, well, you know, 2024 is not our not our thing, but we're kind of hoping for a bunch of guys in 2025. And it's like um, James Chantos fits really well in your system then. So I think that he would be the most likely prospect that people have heard about. Um, sometimes I'm judging this by when scouts will message me and ask me about a specific player. And one player I get asked a lot about is Brody McCullough, who is a right-handed pitcher, um, kind of deeper in the system. You know, it is not like one of the top prospects, but re really nice guy. Uh, showed a lot of really good talent. Great 10th round pick that's way over uh, succeeded o o beyond that. Um, he would be drafted, you know, much, much higher now. Uh, he's done really well in the Cubs system. Gotten asked a lot about him. And so I'll just say that I would guess that something like that would happen just because that's interesting that other people, other teams are kind of asking, at least me, I don't know if they're asking the Cubs. Um, so, you know, I think that that, that would be like another name to watch. I'm trying to think of here, they'd probably be the ones that jumped out. People asked about Ferris. I didn't think the Cubs were going to move him. Uh, and that one totally surprised me. I know we're going to talk about the Michael Bush trade. Um, that one definitely surprised me. And I yeah, I, I think that Triantos and McCullough would probably be the, the two that I would think about. I was I Do you think, think that, that yeah, go ahead. 
Do you think that Canario is just going to be sitting in Chipotle oh, or fifth yeah. outfit? Or... Canario, God, I totally Ready? blanked on him. Yeah, no, I do think that there's a likelihood that he gets, I think there's a decent chance he gets moved. I don't think it is like a foregone conclusion. Um, God, I don't know how, how I didn't blank on him. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Oh, yes. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's a decent bet to, to um, be involved in a deal. And he makes a lot of sense, but also he's a guy that nece- doesn't necessarily need to be moved. Um, not that you were implying that, mm-hmm. but yeah, he would be, I would say, on one of the more likely situations. So before we, I was um, looking at the Cubs top 30 list. And before we go into this Bush Ferris trade, you know, the highlight of the episode, there are two prospects that I wanted to ask about, sort of like Christian Hernandez, that I'm like, what happened? Brennan Davis. Yeah, Brennan Davis, obviously, the injuries and stuff. And then Caleb Killian. Those are two that were, you know, like I kept saying, the second coming, and they were like, these are going to be the guys. Brennan Davis obviously had back injury. I don't know if he'll ever recover from that. And then Caleb Killian just can't find his command. Do you ever see them finding a role in the majors with the Cubs or even with another team, or are they just going to be the big story that never came true? Yeah, I don't know. Um Brennan, I think, is strictly injuries. That's it. I, I, he, he always had some, some whiff issues, but not to the extreme where it was a very risky player. It's just injuries, and, and this is just this is the low percentile outcome so far of of these situations. It's it's why even like top twenty prospects don't make it sometimes. Um, freak injuries, freak like crazy things that happen. I really want Brennan to make it. I don't even care if it's with the Cubs. He is such a good dude. And if you told me in a couple years, all of a sudden he's putting up like two win seasons, two war seasons for like the Kansas City Royals, I'd be like so pumped. I'd probably drive down for his debut. I seriously would. I I think that he deserves it all. It is possible that he contributes um, in the major leagues in 2024. Like, honestly, he, he may just address those issues it comes to the point that it it's starting to feel like it's less likely with chicago but that's okay if he honestly looks good i think the cubs give him an opportunity somewhere i really do uh, because i think he does deserve it and the where the cubs organization is they may not feel like that makes the most sense um in chicago maybe for a short period of time but maybe not long term um so, yeah, I, I hope he does. Killian is a different situation. He succeeded. He's what we would refer to as a command plus pitcher, where the command is the driving force beyond and, and to an extreme level. He was extremely successful, a, a major outlier in commanding his fastball specifically. He lacked swing and miss stuff, but he was so pinpoint. And I'm not talking Maddox level, but like so pinpoint compared to other minor league pitchers in in dotting the zone of where he wanted to that um it was just it was difficult and and that's where he generated k's it's not a ton of swing and miss stuff and i i do think he hit a wall where when he encountered some issues with command um and lost a breaking ball for a period of time that he just was not able to get it back very well i could see him contributing to a certain extent in the major leagues and potentially even with the Cubs, I have thought that it would might be beneficial for him to actually focus on being more 
fastball cutter guy out of a out of the pen, actually similar to a Ryan Tapera, where um, that's where Ryan Tapera generated K's was in swing and miss was was the cutter. It's a particularly nasty one for a period of time in 2021, and and that's where like Caleb Killian might succeed with that. It doesn't take a lot of developmental steps for a pitcher to all of a sudden have something click. They throw mid nineties or even higher have maybe one swing and miss pitch. And then all of a sudden, like they're a really good reliever. It doesn't take a lot. And so I'd actually be surprised if Caleb Killian isn't some kind of a, a major league role player here at some point. I'm not sure if it's with the Cubs, but it could be. I don't know, Brayden, did you have anything to add about the, about any of that? Not really, you know, it's it's been sad to watch. Like you said, it's just like with Brennan Davis, he's had some terrible injuries, like back issues. He had like a nerve issue too or something like that. And that's it's just incredibly crippling for a baseball player especially. And, you know, yeah, it would be great to see him find a spot, whether with the Cubs or with somebody else. So the big news, uh, I know we were talking and then you – you and I, uh, I got a big chuckle out of this when you said, yeah, it's not there's anything big happening right now. And uh, we were talking about the Jackson Ferris was moved, which, like you said, I wasn't expecting him to be moved. You weren't. When we saw Michael Bush was being traded to the Cubs, I saw in one of my, you know, one of my many Cubs group chats that I'm in, someone said, oh, my gosh, what if they move Jackson Ferris? And everyone's like, no, they won't. No. And everyone was like, I would rather die. You know, everyone is very like, no, 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 no. And then when they did, it just became like, whoa, we just got rid of him. But then they're like. Okay, but Michael Bush, problem is he's a little old for a prospect, but I think that could help because he's an immediate impact. I don't think, I'm, obviously, I'm not in plugged into prospects as much as you are. I don't think Ferris was going to be up. When was Ferris expected to be up in the majors? It wasn't going to be for a bit. Oh, I mean, if everything clicked, I, like late 2026, maybe, um, probably like a 2027 time frame on Ferris, which would be totally in, like in line with development. That's not, that's not like, um, you know, he missed a step or he missed a season or he had Tommy John or anything. Like 2027 is pretty reasonable. It, it, so, I I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything drastic to yourself if they moved Jackson Ferris. I I think. Um, but I totally get the appeal, and and I follow prospects a lot. I don't, maybe not more than anybody, but but a lot. And and Jackson Ferris had a crazy potential. That type of deal, the Michael Bush and um, Yense Almonte, for Jackson Ferris and Zaire Hope deal that the Cubs made with the Dodgers, is really unusual. Like that is a not a common deal in baseball, and. Uh, it, there were there were a lot of like I was getting like text messages from people different places and they're just like whoa it wasn't really uh, very elaborative <laughs> or detailed in what they were thinking but I got the gist right like it's just whoa um, it, it's a very unusual type of a move Jackson Ferris has a tremendous amount of potential if you told me he's the top 100 prospect next year okay like I that wouldn't surprise me in in the, in the Dodgers system Zaire Hope is a great kid he has a lot of developmental steps uh, that to, to get to where you know he would need to be. The Dodgers are a great organization for him to do that. We are talking about projection, even taking injury risk out of it. That there were there's a lot of steps that both of those young players need to address. 
to even be up in the majors by 2027 to 2028. Um, a lot of things have to go right. They're in a great organization to make that happen. The Michael Bush deal, primarily that's, I'm just going to focus on the Michael Bush aspect of it. That is very much shifting, hoping for all of this future projection in 2027, 2028, and shifting it to 2024 and beyond. And in many ways, that's pretty exciting. This is a deal that even if Michael Bush looks really good, could make you feel like you might regret it. But at the end of the day, it's the kind of deal that a team that wants to win now actually can make. And I think that that's a really, really good sign for the Cubs organization. Would you, so I guess I'm trying to think of a way to ask this. First off, yes, I do agree. It is sort of a trading the future for the present. I mean, it's very clear. I wanted to double check that I was correct on that and that Ferris wouldn't be up for a bit. So you were really saying like, okay, Ferris is it in a while. Let's get someone that can help now. So my last question for you as we wrap this up is what are your thoughts on this? If you're the, like, if you're Jed, do you make this deal or are you for or against this trade? Yeah, I'll, I'll say just at first blush, it really surprised me. But I think for a team like this, I make this deal, even if it hurts. And I think it does hurt a little bit, but I think I make this deal. It's fun to win. It's fun to buy. And I'm really hoping we get a big contributor in 2024. It is fun. It is fun to win. I do agree. So thank you very much, Greg, uh, for coming on again. You can catch Greg on Twitter at Ivy futures. He also helps with North side bound. And then he has Cubs on deck for any of your prospect needs. Uh, just great uh, chatting with him on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining. And I hope we can chat after uh, all of this world series, 2024 Chicago Cubs. Let's do it, guys. Go Cubs. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Well, once again, thank you, Greg, for hopping on. That was an absolute blast. Uh, we will be sure to have him on again, especially as the Cubs farm system continues to grow. Because, you know, we know Jed's not going to sell out all the prospects uh, as much as I would love to for a Logan Gilbert. Uh, no, but <laughs> jokes aside, this farm system is going to continue to grow. We know that Jed will be able to build a competent MLB roster while growing this farm system to one of the best in baseball, which I would say it already is. Uh, mm. Anyways, I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to talk about before we sign off for this week. No, it was great hopping out with Greg. He's a super smart guy. It's great to pick his brain about statistics and, you know, Cubs prospect stuff because, you know, we're not exactly experts in that area. It's nice for us to give you, our audience, more insight into stuff like that. Of course. We got a big uh, next week. CubsCon is going on right now. So maybe we'll see Cody Bellinger pop up randomly there. Probably not. But I do expect uh, hopefully a Cubs deal within the next week. If there is something big, you know, we will hop on and discuss that. You can find the podcast account on Twitter at Stuck in Ivy Pod. You can find me at JZ2016Cubs. You can find Braden at Braden22Anders. Hop on, give us a follow, um, and just interact with us. You can see the clips of Braden demolishing me and MLB the show. It's mm -hmm. a daily event. I that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty routine at this point, almost like ceremonial. It, it is ceremonial at this point. But anyways, that is it for us this week. Have a great week and go Cubs.